We're going to be looking in Galatians chapter 4. We've been in Galatians for a while uh, this year. In fact, we've been in it for all this year except when I've been gone. And today a message I call, Who's Your Mama? Who is your mama? And you'll see why. Galatians chapter 4, verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by bondmaid, the other by free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Our text this morning will call us to examine carefully the implications of two sons who were born to the same father, Abraham, by two different women, Hagar and Sarah. Now, the story will present in an allegorical method the concept of righteousness by faith or righteousness by the flesh or works. Now, we're very careful about uh, using the allegorical method, although it was common in uh, Paul's day. It was common also in our day. It is a a way where we take uh, a passage of Scripture and we say this represents this and this represents this. That is an allegory. And we have to be very careful about that, folk, because if we do that, and we do it in an unscrupulous way, we can make the Bible say anything that we want it to say. And so we stick to what's called the literal, uh, grammatical, historical interpretation, uh, except when we have a passage like this. And when the Holy Spirit says, now this is what happened, and it was an allegory, then we're safe in saying, this was an allegory. And what was happening in this time represented something else. The two births. We're familiar with that. Jesus said in John chapter 3, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And though our text today presents these two births in a different way uh, and with a different application, the two births are essentially the same. One is the fleshly birth. It is natural, it is normal, it operates according to the principles of the flesh and the power of the flesh. Lost people fall in love, get married, and have children. Saved people fall in love, get married, and have children. It is a fleshly principle, it operates in the power of the flesh, Jesus said it, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. But then there is the birth that is by promise. It is spiritual in its nature. It is by the power of the Spirit of God. It is not natural. It is supernatural. If you are born only once, you will die twice. There will be a physical death. But there will also be what the Bible calls the second death, and that is eternity in hell separated from God. Born once, die twice. But if you're born again, born twice, (laughs) then there's only the potential of one death, a physical death, and you might even get out of that one. (laughs) Wouldn't it be great to get out of death with the shout and the voice of the archangel And the dead in Christ arise first, and then we which are alive. I want to be one of the we. We which are alive. Who'll be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. But when you're born twice, then there's only the physical death. 
And that second birth is not natural. It is supernatural. And these two births are presented then in our text under the imagery of these two women, Hagar and Sarah. Now, when we read the story of the birth of Ishmael and Isaac, uh, we would probably never have made the application that we find in our text. If the Holy Spirit hadn't told us that this is what this was all about, we'd have never figured that out. But the Holy Spirit did tell us that this is what it's all about. And because he did, then we can look at it and learn some very plain and powerful lessons and applications even for our own life today. And so, first of all, let's look at the historical setting. Paul says, tell me, you that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he was of the bondwoman, was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Most of us probably remember this story, but just in case there's some perhaps who don't or who aren't that familiar with it, remember that God came to Abraham when he was living in Ur in pagan idolatry, and yet he said to Abraham, get out, leave this land, and go to a place that I will show you. God promised him a land, but then he did more. He promised him a land full of his descendants. He, in fact, would tell him to look up in the sky and look at the stars. And he said, so shall thy seed be. But, of course, there was a problem Abraham and Sarah, his wife, were not able to have children. As the years went by then, Sarah decided to give her Egyptian handmaid, Hagar, to Abraham in accordance with an ancient practice where it would be said in their language that she would conceive a child with Abraham and then Hagar would give birth to that child, as they put it, on Sarah's knees. That meant in our language that Hagar was going to be a surrogate mother for Abraham and Sarah. She would conceive a child, she would bear the child, but the child then would be Abraham and Sarah's. But there was a problem. Genesis chapter 16 and verse 4, He, that's Abraham, went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarah said unto Abraham, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom, that is, into your heart. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between me and thee. Now, the good Arkansas translation of that, the Lord judged between me and thee, it was that Sarah said to Abraham, this is all your fault. The Lord judged between me and thee. You see, Abraham and Hagar had come together in the natural, fleshly way that pregnancy happens. That was the only way it could happen in those days. Hagar, of course, was much, much younger than Sarah. And in Sarah, from Sarah's perspective, she saw something that made her think that somehow Abraham had taken Hagar into his heart. That is, that a relationship, a feelings had developed between them. And quite frankly, today, I'll tell you, I'll go with Sarah on this one because women are far more in tune with these kind of things. Men, a lot of times, are clueless. 
Sarah would have seen if Hagar would have taken uh, uh, Abraham his breakfast maybe and, and just lingered there a little bit longer and began to laugh then and, and talk. She would have seen if Hagar would have put her hand maybe on Abraham's shoulder and, and Hagar, you know, was smiling and Abraham. Uh, uh, Abraham might have been clueless, but Sarah wasn't. She said... And Hagar, Abraham might not have been either. I'll, I'll admit that as well. But when she said, I have given my maid into your bosom, that is into your heart. She said that a relationship has developed between you two. Now we know that beyond any shadow of doubt that Abraham would love his son Ishmael. In fact, there would come a time when Abraham would cry out to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. He loved the boy. He wanted to accept him, and he wanted God to accept him too. He interceded on his behalf. We know that Abraham loved the boy. It was his son, his firstborn. It would not be difficult to think then that there were feelings as well between him and Hagar, but at the end of the day, what happened is very easily seen. Uh, Hagar decided not to give her child to be raised as Sarah's son. Uh, what that meant was that she was going to make a play to become a full legal wife of Abraham and, and that her son then would be his legal heir. And for many years it may have seemed to have been successful. Ishmael was recognized as Abraham's son and as Hagar's son. That's very important. Ishmael was Abraham's only heir. But he was still the son of a bond woman. That didn't change. After all this scene played out, then God came and appeared to Abraham again. And he implemented the covenant sign of circumcision at that point. And if you think about the background, what all is going on, you might understand a little bit more about why God chose circumcision as a sign of the covenant. So God had given them then the sign of circumcision. He renewed the promise that Sarah was going to have a child. And Abraham got the giggles. I mean, he laughed. And that's where God said, okay, when this baby is born nine months from now, after the time of life, he said, when this baby is born, you're going to name him Isaac. Isaac means, of course, laughter. You know that. The writer of Hebrews summarized the scene wonderfully for us. Through faith also, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful that promised. She might have giggled, but she judged God faithful that promised. Therefore there sprang even of one and him as good as dead. So many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. After the baby was born, then Sarah, in Genesis chapter 21, uh, would utter the words that are quoted in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 30, cast out the bondwoman and her son. God would appear to Abraham at that point and affirm what Sarah had said and tell him, you heed the voice of your wife. It's in Genesis 21. Abraham then would send Hagar and Ishmael away with a water bottle and a loaf of bread. And what that meant was he sent them away with no inheritance or legal standing at all. 
Now, the birth of these two boys would set off a controversy many years later between the Arabs who are descended from Ishmael and the Jews who are descended from Isaac. Uh, the prophet Muhammad would appear in 610 A.D. and claim that the angel Gabriel had given him a revelation. Though he could not read or write, he would dictate that revelation to others and it would become the Quran. And essentially it would say that the Old Testament was wrong, the Jewish scriptures as they called them, and that Ishmael was indeed the promised child and the inheritor of the promised land. And the battle has raged between them ever since. That's the historical setting. And we consider then this historical event. And the book of Galatians is showing us that there's something more though than just that apparent meaning as this story played out. There is an allegorical meaning, and we'll consider that at this point. Which things, verse 24, are an allegory? For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, that is, it represents Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free which is the mother of us all. We must remember the setting then to understand the allegory. Remember that the birth of Ishmael speaks of the fleshly birth. There was nothing about Ishmael's born birth that was anything except just a natural fleshly thing. There was nothing about the promise of God, nothing about the work of the Holy Spirit, nothing about the leadership of the Spirit of God, nothing supernatural, nothing promise-driven about the birth of Ishmael. In fact, it was all about Abraham and Sarah doing what they felt it was their responsibility to do and that is to bring this child into the world. But we've got to remember, folks, this is not any baby that we're talking about. This is the seed of Abraham that we're talking about here. Ishmael was going to represent, or Isaac was going to represent Jesus Christ. It was a promise of the Messiah. There was far more at work here than just the birth of Abraham's child. But if Isaac wasn't born, there'd be no Messiah. There'd be no Jesus. It was going to have to come through Abraham and Sarah. There had to be an Isaac. Well, just any baby. It was the seed of Abraham we're talking about here. So in a very real sense then, we could say that the salvation of the world depended on Abraham and Sarah. And here is that time then when they decided to bring about this salvation by the works of the flesh. That's what it's all about. Isaac, on the other hand, then, is clearly represented in Scripture as a product of their faith. She judged God faithful who promised. And though they might have laughed, they still had a laughing faith. They, in their hearts, believed the promise of God and acted on it. Sarah was 90 years old. She had already gone through menopause. It was no longer humanly possible for her to have a child. The writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that Abraham was 99 and him as good as dead. And yet, by the promise of God, Sarah would receive the strength to conceive a child. 
And we know a lot about the physiological process of that. She would receive strength to conceive and to carry that child and to give birth to that child, 90 years old. And Abraham, 99 years old, would receive the strength to father that child. On the very night that God said, nine months from now, after the time of life, according to the time of life, this would happen. And they believed. And listen, they acted upon it. <laughs> you know, I, don't, I, I can see, you know, Abraham puttering around the tent, lighting candles maybe, and uh, putting on some nice music. And You know, Sarah gives him that look that married women have been giving their husbands for me. What? What are you? What, what are you? you know, well. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I do. I can't help but giggle thinking about it. And they probably giggle too. But you know what? Ninety-nine months later, here he comes. Little laughter was born. Now we learn then in this text that these two births represented allegorically the two covenants. The birth of Ishmael represented the old covenant. That was Mount Sinai in Arabia. Remember, that's where the law was given. Not in Jerusalem, not in Judea, not in the promised land. In Arabia, Mount Sinai represented the flesh, bondage, slavery, and it corresponded to Jerusalem, which now is. The birth of Isaac then represented the new covenant. It came by promise, by faith. It brought freedom, freedom, not bondage. And it represents then the new Jerusalem, which is above. That's the allegory. Now we notice the, the personal significance. What's this all mean to us? Verse 26. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. See, this is a summary of the entire Galatian argument as Paul calls to those who desire to be under the law, to think about, to look at what the law can give. These Galatian Christians were being courted by the Judaizers to bring them back under the old covenant. But the problem is that the writer of the book of Hebrews said in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 13, when he says a new covenant, he's made the first obsolete you see, it wasn't that they could just pick and choose. God couldn't say, well, you can pick one covenant or you can pick the other. If you like the old covenant, you can keep that. After all, it's fine, still works. We'll put you in the new covenant. You like that? That's fine. No. <laughs> when the new covenant came, the old covenant went away. That means if they turned away from the new covenant, they turned away to no covenant at all. And Paul knew then that what was being offered to them would shipwreck their faith and destroy their churches. He knew it. That's why I took it so seriously. Not only that, but the old covenant was said to be in Arabia where Mount Sinai was. It wasn't in the promised land and even more, it's not in Christ. The old covenant answered to a represented Jerusalem, he said, which now is. And that stood as a symbol of the rejection of Jesus Christ. 
It proved then that the righteousness that was centered in that place and that they were trying to get the Galatian believers to go back to was not a faith-based righteousness at all. It was a perversion that substituted human works, the works of the flesh, for believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. That would keep them in bondage and in fear, slave to sin and powerless to deliver themselves for the simple reason, folk, this morning, listen, the flesh has no power to deliver us from the flesh. It can't do it. That was well represented to them by the bondwoman and her son. On the other hand, we have the glorious truths then that are promised to those who embrace the truth of the new covenant by faith in Jesus Christ. When you turn to the flesh, you get only what the flesh can do. But when you turn to Christ, you get what Christ and his cross can do. And that is the power of the promise of God. What does that give to us? First of all, it gives us citizenship. The Jerusalem, he said, which is above is free, which is the mother of us all. Carry forth the allegory then, Paul would say that Hagar represented Mount Sinai and answered, that is, it represented Jerusalem, which now is. But there is Sarah and the birth of Isaac. And that would represent Jerusalem, which is from above. And Paul says, therefore, is the mother of us all. You see, we were born of the flesh, as Jesus said. But we must also be born of the Spirit, that is, to be born of the promise, to be born from Jerusalem, which is above the mother of us all. This is the true city of peace. The writer of the book of Hebrews, again, would speak of this in Hebrews chapter 12 when he talked about how that he saw that glorious vision. You're not come, he said, to Mount Sinai, but you're come unto the heavenly Jerusalem. And there is the innumerable company of angels that he saw. Uh, he saw the spirits of just men made perfect, and he saw those uh, who are enrolled or who are written in heaven, but who aren't there yet. We're coming, he says, to the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, the place of the true habitation of God. In Ephesians, our citizenship is identified as being a part of the heavenly Jerusalem as presented as an accomplished fact for every person who is in Christ. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we've been raised up together and made to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. Here we are this morning. And isn't it a great place to be? Kevin, Arkansas, Faith Baptist Church. I'd rather be here than anywhere. But I'll tell you something else. In Jesus Christ, right now, we're seated in the heavenly places. What that means for us is that we are as sure as heaven as if we were already there. Because God sees us as there. We've been raised up together and made to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ. One of our most cherished truths of the New Testament is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8, where we are told to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's true of every believer in Jesus Christ. You see, we are made citizens of the Jerusalem which is above, the true city of peace, the Jerusalem that is above. We are born from above. We have a new birth, birth of promise. We have peace with God and enjoy it for, uh, for eternity. But there's not only citizenship, but there's the blessing of inheritance. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. It was possible, though highly unusual, for a slave to be adopted and made an heir. 
In fact, Abraham himself would discuss that in the case of Eliezer, uh, the, the Syrian, who he said would be my heir because it was, this was a slave that was born in my house. Because I had no children, then this slave will become my heir. It was unusual. It did happen. But for the most part, it didn't happen because slaves had no legal right to any inheritance at all. In the allegory of the end, it wasn't so much Ishmael and Isaac, but Hagar and Sarah and their respective pregnancies that represented the two covenants. But now he changes his thinking to tell us we're like Isaac. We are with Isaac as the child of promise. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 26, Paul said, For we're the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And because, Romans 8, 17, because we're children, we are heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. I know it's a hard passage to read in Genesis 21 when Abraham was made to send Hagar and Ishmael away with nothing. A skin of water, a loaf of bread, out in the desert all alone. In a practical way, they basically were sent there to die. In fact, when you read the account, and don't do it now, but when you get home, read it, Genesis 21, you'll see that Hagar would actually take Ishmael over and lay him under a bush. He's already passed out, dehydration setting in, pleading with God. They didn't want to see the death of her child. But the Lord appeared to her showed her a well of water so that she could be saved alive and made her promise, your child too will be made a great nation. It wasn't Hagar's fault altogether. It certainly wasn't Ishmael's fault at all, what he was experiencing. It's good to know that God took care of him. I can't explain to you how that all plays out in the promises and purpose of God. I can only tell you that that's what happened. But that separation, you see, if there was a citizenship and there was, and there was an inheritance and there was, there also had to be a separation. Because, you see, there was more to it than just two women and two boys with the same dad. There was more to it. Because it represented the two covenants. And the fact is, you can have one covenant or the other, but you can't have both. That was the whole point Paul was making to these Galatian believers. You can have the old covenant or you can have the new covenant, but you can't have both. And God was giving that very powerfully as an example to them so long ago when he said, cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. You see, the great truth of our salvation in Jesus Christ is presented in Romans chapter 5. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more by the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. The free gift. The free gift. You see, whether we're saved or lost this morning, we all experience our own brokenness. The brokenness of our flesh. Let me put it to you simply. We're messed up. 
As a great evangelist, David Ring was fond of saying in his personal testimony, he's preached many times, I'm not okay. He had cerebral palsy. But then he'd point out to the crowd and say, you're not okay either. We're not okay. There's a brokenness about us. There's a hole in our flesh and no amount of digging can ever dig us out of it. We're messed up. We're broken. And we simply cannot fix ourselves. No amount of work can do it. Sarah and Abraham were messed up. We can feel the hurt and the heartbreak of Sarah. God has promised us, we've got to do this, but I can't do it. And we see then her trying, trying by the flesh what the flesh can do. But it just made a mess. It made things worse and worse. See, the story is all about how the flesh brings bondage and pain and hurt and death. But then there's the promise of God. And when you take on the promise of God and you follow it by faith, God has a precious little bundle to bring you named Happy. Happy. You see, when the Jerusalem, which is above, is your mama, you have peace that passes understanding and the joy of Jesus that is a fullness of joy. You know and I know there are a lot of miserable people in the world. Some of them are lost, but some of them are saved. And they're miserable because they're trying to fix the flesh with the flesh. It can't be done. Work as hard as you want to work. Try as hard as you can. Spend all the money you want to spend. You're still messed up, still broken. We can see that with lost people who reject Jesus Christ. Listen, this whole story was told to save people in the church of Galatia because they were tempted to go back under a system where they would be embracing once again the works of the flesh to try to fix the flesh. Instead of enjoying the promise of God, that he made available to them freely in Jesus Christ. There's a quote that is attributed to Mark Twain. I don't know if Mark Twain said it or not. It's also attributed to another humorist called, named Josh Billings. I, I don't know which one of them said, or, said it or if either one of them said it. I don't know, but I like the quote. Who ever said it? They said, someday you'll meet a man who is happy though he has nothing. You'll meet a man who is happy, though he has nothing. And you'll realize that you paid too much for your whistle. What kind of whistle? Well, zippity-doo-dah, zippity You know, that kind of whistle. Happy. Full of joy. You meet a man who has nothing and he's happy. You realize you spent way too much trying to make yourself happy. I want you to contemplate for a few moments today that great statement. He has given to us freely. The gift of God. Freely. 
God has a bundle of happiness for us, a bundle of blessedness that is available to us. It includes our eternal citizenship in the heavenly Jerusalem. It includes an immutable and unchangeable source of joy that he puts inside of us that the devil can't take away. A life of faith that comes from claiming the promises of God and living by faith. The siren song of the flesh always calls to us. And it causes us then to answer the question, am I going to live my life as the child of a bondwoman or am I going to live my life as the child of the heavenly Jerusalem that is free? Free. I don't have to work for it. It's free. In Jesus Christ. That's all of our choice. It is that choice that we make when we make that decision to receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. We've talked about it over and over again through this series in Galatians. And uh, those who are trying to work it and trying to make it happen, it's not ever going to happen. The flesh has no power to fix the flesh. And the interesting thing is that God doesn't expect us to. He expects us to claim that promise by faith so that we can be born from above. Let's stand together, please.